Amen. Well, we're going to continue this Lord's Day with our study in the book of Hebrews. So for today, we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 3 through 11. And so as you turn there in your Bible, just wanted to offer another word of thanks for all of your prayers and cards uh, for reaching out to me and my mom and our family uh, during this time of grief as we mourn uh, the loss of my father. Uh, it has been a difficult time uh, just in general not to be able to gather as a church family. Uh, it's been especially difficult not to be able to grieve and mourn together as a church family. Uh, but we are so thankful for your prayers and would ask that you continue to pray for us and in God's providence. It's very timely that we find ourselves in this passage today which instructs us not to grow weary uh, because it's during times of hardship, it's during times of suffering that we are uh, greatly tempted uh, to be weary and faint-hearted in our faith, to, to not finish the race. And so this has been a timely word in my life. I pray it'll be a timely word in your life as well as we continue in our study of the book of Hebrews with Hebrews 12, 3 through 11. Just a couple of weeks ago, we started uh, in Hebrews chapter 12 by looking at those first two verses coming out of Hebrews 11, where we have this hall of faith and this testimony of faith throughout Old Testament history. Uh, the writer then takes us to Hebrews 12, where he reminds us that we are to, to look to Jesus, and he compares our faith, our walk of faith, our run of faith as a race. In Hebrews chapter 12, he tells us, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And so what we looked at in those first couple of verses is that the Christian life is not a sprint, it's not a short race, it's a marathon and involves endurance and perseverance. It's a lifelong process. I encouraged us to ask as we look to this passage and look to our race uh, what is it that we can do to run our best race? What are the things we need to leave behind and lay aside uh, that we might run and look to Jesus? And, and obviously that's the focus of the passage, that we are to set our eyes on Christ if we are to run this race well. But what we see in the book of Hebrews and what we see in the Christian community around us today is that there are many who will start out well in the race, uh, but they do not finish. They grow weary, they grow faint-hearted, they stumble and they fall. And so the question we need to ask ourselves is, what can we do? What do we need to avoid? What do we need to do in order to run this race well so that we might finish this race? How can we keep the warning that's in this passage not to grow weary? What is it that causes us to grow weary? Well, those are some of the things we're going to consider as we look to this text today. And so let me go ahead and read for us Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 3. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. And your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten... The exhortation that addresses you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. 
For it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment of all for the moment all discipline seems rather painful than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. If you would, let's just take a moment and pray for our time in this passage today. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that you discipline us, that you train us, you instruct us. And even in our darkest times, even in our times of trial and suffering, Lord, it is then that we see that discipline so often at work, that instruction at work. You are using these trials in this time of suffering for our good and for your glory. So, Father, help us as we consider the race you've called us to run. Help us to see what it is in our lives today that might cause us or is causing us even now to be weary, to be faint-hearted. What is it that will keep us from crossing that finish line of faith? Help us not just to see these things today. Help us to turn from them, to repent, and to hold fast to the truth of your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's a very clear picture we've looked at already in Hebrews 12 of of running a race, of this marathon of faith. And of course, it's a picture we can understand because even now today, while many of us may not run them, we're familiar with marathons. The largest marathon in the world takes place every November in New York City. It's the New York City Marathon, and it's run by over 50,000 people. Now, in order to be one of those 50,000 people, you have to meet one or more qualifications. Not just anyone can sign up to run the marathon and then show up to run it. Now, you have to meet certain qualifying times. For many, you have to have already completed so many other marathons. For some, you have to be among the most elite runners in the world. For others, you have to partner with the right charities and have the right sponsorships. And even then, when you apply to run in this marathon, many aren't able to do it. Well over 100,000 people apply to run in the New York City Marathon who meet one or more of those qualifications every year. And yet they limit the field to about 50,000. But even for those who run the race, even for those who meet the qualifications, even for those who have run many marathons in their life before, there are still among these elite runners some who do not finish the New York City Marathon. In fact, it's estimated that about 500 to 1,000 people a year fall short of crossing the finish line in this race. Now again, these are elite athletes. These are men and women who have competed in marathons successfully before, some of them even finishing in the very top places in other marathons, and yet they find themselves in this particular race falling short. And so if you're 
a runner and if you're one who makes the cut and you're preparing to run in a marathon like this then then you want to find out what is it that kept these others from finishing what is it that kept these other elite runners from making it to the finish line you you want to know what the obstacles are that you might prepare for them that you might avoid them and that's not just true for Runners of marathons, friends, that's true for us in the Christian life as well. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is helping us to understand here, that we've been called again to, to run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. But as we run this race, we need to be aware that there are some who do not finish. Again, the context here in the book of Hebrews is is men and women of God who are being persecuted for their faith. Uh, People who are Hebrew Christians who have come into this persecution of the Jewish community and some have now fallen away. Others are being tempted to stop running. And so the writer here is encouraging them in verse 3, not to grow weary or faint-hearted, to endure, to persevere, and to finish this race. That those terms that the writer uses here in verse 3, growing weary and faint-hearted, uh, Aristotle used these same Greek words to describe an athlete who finds himself flinging to the ground, falling to the ground, and collapsing as soon as he crosses the finished post of a race. And so in essence, what the writer of Hebrews is saying here is, uh, don't do that too soon. Now, don't relax before you cross the finish line. Don't collapse until you finish the race. Stay on your feet until the end. So why would we collapse? Why would we grow weary? Why might we find ourselves falling short of the finish line? Well, that's what I want us to consider as we walk through this text this Lord's Day. Beginning there with the first point in your outline. Why do we grow weary? Well, first we... We stop looking to Jesus. In verse 3, we're reminded to consider Him. Consider who? Consider Jesus. Now that Greek word consider is a word that isn't just a a one-time thing. This is an ongoing process. It's not just that we look to Jesus in our moment of salvation and then we look around and find our own way. No, we are to consider Jesus every moment of every day of the Christian life. We are to continually consider Jesus, to continually look to Jesus. We are to set our eyes on Him and not take our eyes off of Him. And so again, the context here is these Hebrew believers who are suffering for their faith, that they are running the race of faith, they are considering giving up in that race. They are being persecuted. And so the writer is saying, listen, the way you will continue in this race, the way you will ultimately finish this race is not by looking around at your circumstances. It's not by focusing on your suffering and your trials. It's by setting your focus on Jesus Christ. And when you set your focus on Jesus Christ, then you can endure and you can persevere. Why? Because He has already endured. He has already persevered. He has already crossed the finish line. And so we can run the race and we can persevere and we can endure because not only has He done this already, He empowers us through the Holy Spirit to continue on 
and to press on. Even at those moments when we feel we don't have another breath in us. Even at those moments when we are overwhelmed and we just want to fall and collapse. The writer of Hebrews says, press on. Endure and persevere. Look to Jesus. Because when you look to Jesus, then that corrects your perspective. If you just look around at your your suffering, your trials, your hardships, you you can get a skewed perspective. But when you focus on Christ, then you can get the right perspective in the Christian life. So so look to Jesus. And if you stop looking to Jesus, then understand you are in danger of growing weary and faint-hearted. But if you look to Him, then you'll have the right perspective. Which brings us to that next point there in your notes. Why do we grow weary? Well, we grow weary because we lose the right perspective. Verse 4, the writer says, In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And so very bluntly, the writer here is saying, Listen, you've suffered. You've been persecuted. I mean, back in Hebrews 10, he says that some had been plundered. Their property had been stolen. They've lost their earthly possessions. But what is he saying here? He's saying, but you haven't lost your lives yet. You haven't been martyrs for the faith yet. That that day may come, but you've yet to shed your blood. Of course, that points us to the gospel of Jesus, who indeed did suffer to the point of shedding his blood for our sins. Now that great truth of the gospel that, that we are all born in sin, that the wages of our sin is death, but that God demonstrated his love for us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ's blood was shed for us. It points us towards that great exchange that happens on the cross where God took him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that Jesus died in our place, his blood was shed, and that you and I might be made clean and righteous. We might receive the righteousness of Jesus by being cleansed by his blood. And so there's a couple of meanings here, I believe, in what the writer's saying. One, he's saying, listen, you've struggled, you've wrestled, but you're not a martyr yet. And he's also saying you need to keep looking to Jesus. Why? He's the one who shed his blood for us. As well, he gives the perspective here that's needed that the Christian life is not easy. Again, verse 4, he says, in your struggle. He's reminding them to keep this perspective that, that there is struggle, there is suffering in the Christian life. The Christian life is hard. It's not always hard. But there are times when it is desperately hard. And if we don't have that perspective, if we think the Christian life will be a life of ease, then when suffering comes, then we are tempted to grow weary and faint-hearted and to give up because we were not prepared for the trials and the suffering. We didn't have the right perspective. Pastor John Piper says it well this way. He says there is a restful side to the Christian life and there is a wrestling side to the Christian life. I think that's such a great way to put it that in the Christian life there is rest but there's also wrestle. And we need to be prepared. We need to anticipate. We need to know that both of those are part of the race that God has called us to run. 
course, we see the restful side of the Christian life well and what Christ calls us to in Matthew 11, verse 28, where it says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. So, so in our trial and our suffering and in our dark moments and in our times of weariness, we're instructed to come to Jesus for what? For, for rest. We find our rest in Jesus. We find our peace in Jesus. We have the, the burden and the weight of sin lifted by Jesus. We, we find eternal rest in Jesus. There is great rest in the Christian life. But there is also wrestling. We see the wrestling side of the Christian life as well as we walk through the Scripture from what Jesus says in Luke chapter 13, verse 24. He says, Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter but will not be able. That that word strive there has the same root word as the word used here in Hebrews 12.4 for struggle. Yeah, it means we wrestle, that we fight, that the Christian life is hard, that the race that is set before us will not be an easy one. And we must have this perspective if we will run the race well. Because if we lose this perspective, we are in danger of growing weary and of giving up. If we think the Christian life is all rest and no wrestle, then we will grow weary and we will be tempted to give up when the wrestling comes. If we think the Christian life is free from suffering, from pain, from sickness, from grief, from loss, then when those things come, and they will come, we're tempted to grow weary and to give up. We need to keep the right perspective, that the right balance in considering what it is to run this race with Jesus. Will we suffer in the Christian life? Absolutely. But will we endure what Jesus endured on the cross? No. No, because he has gone before us and he has paid the penalty for us. He has redeemed us and he has made us our own. So our suffering for those who are in Jesus will be momentary. It will be temporal. And we look towards the eternal glory that is to come. And so the picture here is that we, we need to run the race with our eyes fixed on Jesus and with the right perspective that the race will not be easy, that the race will be hard. There will be difficult times along the path that God has prepared for us. But we need to endure and persevere and keep running. That's what we're reminded of in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 17 there. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. That, that is the perspective we are to have. Our affliction may not seem light, but we need to understand it is light and momentary when compared to the eternal weight of glory that is to come and that is beyond all comparison. And so we, we, we look not to those things we can see. We, we can see our suffering. We can see our trials. We can see our hardships. What, what are we told here? We're not just staring at those things and focused on things. We look to that which we cannot see. That, that which is to come. 
I mean, that's the picture of faith that we're given in Hebrews 11 and 12. And we're reminded of it as well in 2 Corinthians 4. That is the perspective we are to have. And if we do not have that perspective, then we are tempted to grow weary and faint-hearted. We also see point three, that we grow weary when we fail to remember God's Word. Picking up there in verse 5, the writer says, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? And then he quotes from Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 through 12. My son, do not regard the discipline of the Lord lightly. Do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary. There's that word again, weary, when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. And so, again, in the context here, the writer of Hebrews is, is looking to these believers and is saying, listen, have you forgotten what God's Word says? Have you forgotten what's been written and told to us? Have you forgotten that part of the Christian life is discipline from the Lord? Have you forgotten that God corrects us when we sin as well as instructs us and trains us and teaches us how to live a life of righteousness? That there's this discipline component to the Christian life and it is not easy. It is difficult, but it is part of the race. And how do we know this? We know this because we look to the very Word of God. And again, the writer says, have you forgotten this Word? You see, friends, God's Word teaches that, that, that we are disciplined by the Lord out of love for our good and for God's glory. God's Word teaches that we are children of God and that God loves us enough to allow us to suffer in order to produce in us something that would not be produced if it were not for the sufferings that we are enduring. Again, 2 Corinthians 4.17, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. God is doing something. God is preparing us. God is at work in us. And God is not sitting idly by as we suffer. No, God is involved even in the process of our darkest times, preparing us, working within us, disciplining us, growing us in the faith that we might finish the race well. That's a, it's a beautiful truth that we're given in this passage, but it's a truth that, that many don't want to look to. It's a truth that, that, that many don't look to. It's a truth that we certainly don't consider when we have the wrong perspective and we consider the Christian life a life of ease. That, that if we just think, well, if I, I just have enough faith, then everything will just work out well. And if things aren't working out well, then I just don't have enough faith. Now, that this passage helps us to wrestle with great truths of the gospel. Alexander McLaren was a Baptist preacher who ministered in Scotland in the 1800s, and he compared this passage in Hebrews 12 to a lighthouse that, that would guide ships when the sun was not shining. A lighthouse that, that, that would help people at sea to find safe passage during times of great darkness. He said that like the light from a lighthouse, it doesn't stand out very well in the day. But when the night comes and when the storms rage against us, 
suddenly that lighthouse blazes a light that is essential if we are to find our way. And he wrote of this passage that these verses are like that because they speak of God's discipline. That that teaching that God instructs us and trains us to endure and to persevere through the difficulties and hardships of life. And friends, it's during those dark times, it's during those storms that God corrects our perspective and calls our focus to the light that He might safely guide us across the finish line. And so we need to remember God's Word when we come to Him for rest and when we come to Him in our wrestling. We need to remember God's Word in times of blessing and in times of great grief and trial and suffering. And we need to look to the light in the midst of the storm so that God might lead us safely home and bring us across the finish line of our faith. And if we fail to remember the Word of God, then we are in danger of growing weary and of giving up. It's the same danger that a ship faces in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of a storm, as they have to navigate through a path of great obstacles and and rocky waters. If they don't look to the lighthouse, then they are in great danger and peril. And we too find ourselves there if we don't look to the light of God's Word. It's what the psalmist reminds us of in Psalm 119, verse 105, that God's Word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Without it, we grow weary. And we also see that we grow weary when, point four, we do not trust in God's sovereignty. Well, when we fail to recognize, to understand what the Scripture teaches about the sovereignty of God, when we fail to trust in the sovereign plan and see the sovereign hand of God at work, when, when we don't recognize, see those things, accept those things, trust those things, then, then we are in danger of becoming weary and faint-hearted and not finishing the race. Again, the writer here picks up on this, this picture of an earthly father disciplining his child and how we see an even greater picture there of God, our Heavenly Father, disciplining us, instructing us. Verse 7, he says it's for discipline that you endure, for God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline in which we've all participated, you're illegitimate children and not sons. He's addressing here the modern context of the world that he's in where there were many who might have children that were illegitimate children. And perhaps they would provide material things for them, but they weren't involved in their lives. They didn't train them. They didn't instruct them. They didn't bring them up. They didn't teach them the things they needed to know. And they certainly did not correct them. They were illegitimate children. The writer here says that that's not who you are. You're left without discipline, that's who you be. But no, God disciplines this. He says, beside this, we have had earthy fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. So we not... So how much more should we be subject to the Father of spirits and live? And so he's saying here to the Hebrews who are being persecuted for believing that Jesus was the Messiah, for putting their faith in Him. He's saying to them, you need to consider your suffering in the context of God's sovereignty. Now again, consider the immediate context. Who was it that was persecuting these Hebrews? 
It was Jewish authorities and rulers in their day. It was those who did not believe Jesus was the Messiah. These were the people who had publicly afflicted them. These were the people who had plundered their property. But but notice here, the writer of Hebrews is not pointing the finger there. No, he's pointing the finger to God. He's reminding them that even in the midst of their trials, their darkness, their suffering, when people are intending evil and wickedness against them, that this all falls under the sovereign hand and the sovereign plan of God. That this is not taking place outside the providence of God. That God is using even the wicked acts and deeds of these wicked people for their good and for His glory. It it calls us again to this important biblical truth that, that God is sovereign even in the midst of our suffering, especially in the midst of our suffering. God was using the suffering in the life of the Hebrews and He uses suffering in our life as well today. Many of you may already be familiar with the quote from C.S. Lewis where it says, God whispers to us in our pleasures, He speaks to us in our conscience, but He shouts in our pains. It is His megaphone to arouse a deaf world. And isn't that so true? That there are times when we are just guiding through, coasting through life, and it seems that that all is going pretty well. And many times during those times of ease, we may not find ourselves on our knees as much as we should be. We may not find ourselves drawn to the Word of God as much as we should be. We may even be tempted to see ourselves as rather self-sufficient. But then when the bottom drops out, then when the crisis comes, And then when we are just overwhelmed and put in a place where we have little to no control, so often it is then that that we hear the megaphone of God. That that we're drawn to the Word of God. That we fall to our knees and we cry out to God. He shouts to us in our pain. Along those same lines, J.I. Packer said it this way, This is the ultimate reason from our standpoint why God fills our lives with troubles and perplexities of one sort or another. It is to ensure that we shall learn to hold Him fast. It is in those moments that that we grip tightly to the hand of God. And it is in those moments that we realize that God's hand is gripping even tighter to us and that He will hold us fast it is the great rich deep biblical reality we come to when we open up the word of god that helps us to understand that even in our darkness in our trial in our suffering in our persecution in our sickness in our weariness in our faint-heartedness and whatever it is that befalls us we learn as we open up god's word that god is sovereign over all things in our life that we are His children, that He is disciplining us, He is training us, He's instructing us, even in these hard and difficult times. He is in control. Again, 2 Corinthians 4, for this light momentary affliction is preparing us. God is doing something in us. He's preparing us for that eternal weight of glory 
that's beyond all comparison. We, we can't see it. We can't compare it to anything. It is the glory that is to come. And we long for it and we look to it, especially in our times of darkness and of grief and of trial. It is then that we recognize that these things that we deal with today, they are transient, they are momentary. But what is to come is eternal. And so we don't look at what we can see. And we look to that which we cannot see. Because when you look around, you, you may not be able to see. In fact, I don't think you often will see what it is fully that God is doing through your suffering. Because in our suffering, as we look around, we're just crying out to God to remove it from us. We, we can't see fully what it is He's doing. We, we can't even fully understand it or recognize it. But the biblical truth is He is at work preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison because He is sovereign especially over our suffering. And if we lose this perspective, if we stop trusting in the sovereign plan of God, if we stop looking to the sovereign hand of God to see how He is at work, even in our darkest moments, then we will grow weary and faint-hearted and we are tempted to give up and not finish the race. We grow weary when we don't trust the sovereignty of God. And last, we grow weary when number five, we forget God's good purposes. We forget God's good purposes. Again, beginning in verse 10 there, for they are our, our fathers, our earthly fathers, disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But He, God, our heavenly Father, He disciplines us for our good that we may share in His holiness. For the moment... At that moment, when we're in the midst of it, in the suffering, in the darkness, in the instruction, in the discipline, in that moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So again, friends, God, He's doing something. He's doing something in our pain. He's doing something when we're suffering. He, he's working in it for, for our good and for the good of those around us. Ultimately, He's working through it that which will produce in us a holiness and, and righteousness. And yet so often at the time it doesn't seem that way, does it? No, it seems painful, not pleasant. And yet what the writer reminds us of here is that God is most certainly at work to bring about his good purposes it reminds us of what we read in romans chapter 8 verse 28 for we know that for those who love god all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose and so the truth that we have from god's word is that god has a purpose for every moment of rest in our lives. And God has a purpose for every moment of wrestling in our lives. And He is working through all these things for His good purposes. And we may not understand exactly how 
or why he is doing those things this side of eternity, but the day will come in glory when all will be seen, when our faith will be sight, and when we will fully be able to recognize and see how God was at work even in the midst of our hardest time in life to bring about good, to work his good purposes, and to be glorified through them. We know for that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to to his purpose and while we may not fully be able to see that today friends the day will come when we see it jc ryle said it this way by affliction he teaches us many precious lessons which without it we should never learn by affliction he shows us our emptiness and weakness and draws us to the throne of grace. He purifies our affections. He weans us from the world. He makes us long for heaven. And in the resurrection morning, we shall all say, it is good for me that I was afflicted. And we shall thank God for every storm. Brothers and sisters, if you are in Christ today, the day will come when you and I will thank God for every storm. But for many of us, that day is not here yet. And so for today, we hold fast. For today, we look to Jesus. For today, we seek to keep the right perspective that's informed by the Word of God. We remember it, we read it, we believe it, we hold fast to it, and we trust that God is sovereign and that he is at work for our good and for his glory. Let me pray for us. Father God, I pray that you would help us in these days, days when there are many who are suffering, many who are enduring trials, and not just to look to what is seen, but to look to what is unseen. I pray that you would correct our perspective that we might look to you. And in those moments when we are overwhelmed, in those moments when we just want to collapse, in those moments when we don't want to take another step in this race of faith, God, would you through your grace and mercy empower us through the power of your Holy Spirit to not just take another step, but to run the race with endurance and perseverance and to look to Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith. We ask this in his name. Amen.